the Gospel of Luke, Satan shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world and says to him, if you worship me, I'll give them to you because they've been delivered to me and I give them to whomever I will. And what's really interesting about this conversation is that Jesus doesn't correct him. In fact, he goes on three times in the Gospel of John to refer to Satan as the ruler of this world. interesting is that these aren't the only places in the Bible where political and demonic power are connected together. In fact, if you read closely, you'll see it all over the place. So why are evangelicals always saying things like, America is a Christian nation? You are listening to the Cantus Firmus podcast. I'm Cody Cook. What you just heard is the audio from uh, the video trailer for my new book, Fight the Powers. And the subtitle on that is What the Bible Says About the Relationship Between Spiritual Forces and Human Governments. And that is on Amazon, on Kindle, and paperback. Uh, and if you want to uh, check out the, uh, the video trailer, you can do that on the Amazon page. You can also do it at cantusfirmus.com. That's cantus-firmus.com. And it's on YouTube. Um, under the uh, Cantus Firmus uh, YouTube page. All that you can find from the website, however. And I have with me today my friend Jackson Farrell, who's been on a couple of these before. And he actually did the uh, cover for my book, which I think looks really good. Uh, he didn't do any of the font stuff, so if you don't like that, that's my fault. But he did the cover illustration, um, and I think it looks really good. And uh, so I wanted to welcome Jackson. And also, if you like uh, his work here and you're interested in a project that you're doing where you need someone to help you out with the art, he might be a good person to talk to. And uh, where might they find uh, your uh, your portfolio, Jackson? BigJStudios.com. Great. And you are still doing Chocolate Book. Yes, I am. Chocolatebook.net. Um, you can check that out every weekday. And I eat chocolate, and I read a passage from the Bible, and I blog about it. Um, and that's what I do, and it's good. I hope it's good. I hope you think it's good. I hope you think it's good. And if you're as, as much of a chocolate enthusiast as I am, you might appreciate the chocolate recommendations <laughs> as well that Jackson yeah. puts together on that. I do reviews. I review chocolate, and those can help you find good chocolates to eat for good values. Yeah, and I really, I really appreciate um, what you do with Chocolate Book because you're an intelligent guy who is, is well-studied, uh, somewhat of a layman, although... You are. Uh, you've also had some Greek in your background, and and uh, so you're 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 not uh, you're not new to uh, these issues of uh, of Bible interpretation and uh, systematic theology and biblical theology and all these fun things. So you actually you you bring a um, sort of a um, uh, a studious layman's uh, perspective, and and I think uh, you sort of honestly struggle with the text sometimes when you're trying to figure out what's going on there or how it makes you feel, and and uh, it's a it's a very um, um, a very human and also a learned uh, um, discussion of uh, kind of uh, wh what you're thinking about as you're reading the text. Yeah. Well, we're all human. And, you know, I think it's good for us to be honest about that. And yeah. I think we also should all be striving to learn. Yeah. Striving to be learned as, as yeah, much as possible. To be learned. Yeah. We are never well, done being learned. It always happens to us all the time, hopefully. Well, and, and so speaking of Greek, though, we, we will be talking uh, yeah, we're a little get bit learned today. 
Yeah, we're talking a little bit about the Greek, uh, a Greek word in the New Testament, and it connects with what uh, I talk about in Fight the Powers, although I don't go into a lot of depth, so I kind of wanted to uh, have a little bit of fun exploring it. And it's this word that appears only seven times in the New Testament and uh, has confused scholars for generations. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the word of the day, Cody? <laughs> the word is stoichia, and every time ah! you hear <laughs> Every time you hear someone say stoichia, scream ah! loud. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That'll get old fast. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe maybe we don't do the Pee Wee's Playhouse approach, but we could do a, a Groucho Marx, you bet your life, and every time you say it, a, a duck will come from the ceiling and give you $100. I love this idea. Let's do it. <laughs> right. So, um, and actually, let me look at the Greek here, make sure I'm even pronouncing it right, because maybe it's like stoichia. Let me see this here. Well, actually, saying stoikeion here because that's giving the singular version, but yeah, I mean, is plural. It is. So, yeah, e, e, yeah, I guess it'd be stoikeia. So, we're going to call it stoikeia now. And um, yeah, so, so, like I said, it only appears in the New Testament seven times, which is kind of weird. And the Septuagint, or the LXX, they call it, um, because Septuagint means 70, um, that's like the um, Old Testament translated into Greek that the uh, early church and the church fathers used a lot. And it only appears there seven times and, and only in the Apocrypha. So like it doesn't show up in the canonical books. And so we don't, we don't get a lot of, uh, you know, biblical usage here to kind of help to inform us what's going on with this word, but it definitely seems to be connected with some of the stuff I'm talking about and fight the powers with uh, demonic, uh, you know, spiritual beings and, and that kind of stuff. Although uh, that is debated and it doesn't always uh, mean that either. So um, sometimes it's like the basic principles of a thing. Um, uh, a lot of times it gets translated as elements. I think the King James version translates it elements four times, rudiments twice and principles once. Yeah, um, it's like the letters in the alphabet. That's one. Like, yeah. Alpha, beta, gamma, you know, in the Greek alphabet. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, and in fact, a, a, a BDAG, which is a, a, um, a, a lexicon um, uh, that's pretty you know, well used in, in uh, New Testament circles, does give that uh, definition um, of things that constitute the foundation of learning, fundamental principles, or even letters of the alphabet. So uh, you could say like the ABCs. And yeah. uh, that's, like a, that's a, a pretty good um, use of it if you're looking at, and I'm pulling it up here, Hebrews 5.12 where it occurs. Mm -hmm. Let's take uh, a look there. And I'll just, the NIV came up first, so I'll read that. Uh, in fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again, or the stoicheia of God's word, the, the ABCs, you could say. You need someone to teach you the ABCs of God's word all over again. You don't know anything. You guys need to move along. You need to yeah. grow in your faith. So that's that's definitely one place where, where that that fits. Yeah, um, it's kind of a slam, isn't it? You know, he goes on to be like, you guys are still stuck on milk when you should be graduating to solid food, you big babies. Yes. Yeah, and that is kind of interesting because it doesn't ever seem to have like a very positive connotation that I'm aware of in the New Testament. Although um, sometimes it's maybe neutral. So um, sometimes it refers to like physical elements. Mm -hmm. um, um you know, and we, we think of like the elements like on the periodic table. Maybe that's like a way to think about it, like the kind of the, the nuts and bolts of, of like the basics, like earth, wind, fire, water, those kind of, you know, yeah. uh, this idea of what is 
you know, and, and even like the stars sometimes. So it's actually connected with astrology. Um, like the simplest things. Yes. Yeah. Like so the, the, all the complex things are made up of. Yeah, sort of. So like in, in, in 2 Peter 3, 10, and it's also um, in verse 12, uh, the day of the Lord will come like a, th a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The stoicheo will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will all be laid bare. Uh, as you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. Hold on. Uh, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the stoicheo will melt in the heat. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that seems to be pointing to like uh, physical material elements, maybe even the stars. But what's so, you know, th that's what I think is the most obvious reading there. But there's because there is a sort of continuum of meaning. And, and that's we'll get into this third meaning here. Um, there may be kind of a double meaning possibly here. So. Um, this third meaning has to do with divine beings, because of course, in the, in the pagan world, um, the, the stars, the elements, those are all connected with divine beings. There right. are, you know, personified, uh, you know, what we talked about and, oh, we did that, uh, you and I did that podcast together on what I called the, um, uh, the argument, uh, the, uh, uh, transcendence argument. So, you know, Judaism sort of came out of nowhere and said, there's a transcendent God when every, everybody else was saying, no, everything exists on this continuum of, uh, of existence of being. So you have the gods and then you have the things they represent in the physical world. And then you have the idols. And so everything kind of blends together. Yeah. Um, and so it's also possible that Peter is referring, is, is using the word maybe with a double meaning. So he's, he's possibly saying not just that the stars will burn up and the elements will burn up, but all of these divine sort of uh, beings that are hostile to God um, sort of, so that, because, you know, it is a passage about judgment, you know? Um, so at the very least, though, we do have these three basic definitions. And if you think of it, I think in terms of this continuum, it, it seems to be helpful. You know, the, the basic essential things, uh, then that connects with the elements in the physical world. And then those are represented by these divine beings. And, um, and also, you know, throughout the Bible, you do have um, angels referred to as like stars, you know, so there, there is that they do sort of take that language, they borrow that language uh, from paganism, but then sort of say, well, you know, all these divine beings you guys think about are, you know, are lesser than, than the God of, of, you know, the universe, Yahweh. So that's kind of like the big overview. So then the question is, what's actually happening in some of these other passages? So we looked at three passages out of the seven in the New Testament where the word is used. And, you know, one of them is clearly not referring to demons. The other two in Second Peter uh, may be alluding somewhat to that, but that's not the basic essential meaning that's happening there. Mm -hmm. So then you've got four other places. And so the question is, what's going on in these four other places? Yeah. Well, are you, let me, let me make sure that I'm understanding you about uh, the Second Peter before we move on to those other four. Yeah. Are you saying that these uh, that these definitely refer to? I mean, there's it, there's three options. The word stoikia, stoikia there either refers to physical things like stars or the things that make up the stars, the basic matter of the stars, mm -hmm. or uh, the word refers to demons or the word perhaps refers to both. Are those the, the three possibilities that you're entertaining? Yeah, so it, 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 at, at minimum, 
it's definitely referring to physical elements, right, of the universe. Okay. So at minimum. So it's not referring just to demons, but either of the other two possibilities are fair game. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think I would, I would see in that a definite reference to demons. I guess all I'm saying is because there's a connection there between divine beings and stars, uh, you know, in the minds of, of of these, you know, the people who are writing at this time, um, it's possible that Peter is also um, including in that this because he is talking about a passage of judgment that he is talking about the judgment of the angels, uh, the fallen angels as well. One so, of those where he's talking about a physical reality that may also include or encompass or reflect a spiritual reality. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and it's possible that Peter is not in any way thinking about these angelic beings, but because that is, there is a connection there, at least uh, conceptually um, it's, I'd say it's at least possible that Peter is doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a possibility we have to entertain or investigate before we dismiss it. Exactly. But I, I don't think that you, if, if all you do is look at that and see, okay, the physical elements, I think you, you still, you know, you're still, I think, getting what basically Peter is talking about in that passage. Um, yeah. Although, now that we're talking about that, if you go back to the previous chapter, he mm -hmm. does talk about the judgment of angels. So, Second uh, Peter two four. Uh, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into Hades and committed them to actually not Hades it says hell, but I think it's Tartarus, isn't it? Um. Yes, Tartarus. Okay. So, um, so if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus or hell is how the ESV translates it, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of unrighteousness, with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. So he kind of, this is long sort of running sentence. But, it, but basically, he, he is talking about the judgment of angels, the judgment of men, and how this, is, this was looking forward to a final judgment. So I would say that one should at least consider possible that Peter is, is, is you know, including... Uh, you know, fallen angels in his um, in this discussion here. Yeah, there's him. a context there. Yeah. So yeah, but um, I'd be I'd be content if somebody said I don't think that that's what's going on in this passage. Like I'd be oh, okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, no big deal. Yeah. So then we get to so the other passage, the other references are in. There's two references in Colossians two and two in Galatians four. And I think Galatians 4 is maybe the, the weirder one. Um, so I kind of want to start maybe with Colossians 2 and then work toward Galatians 4 because that might illuminate what's happening. Yeah. Okay, so I don't think we need to look at all of Colossians, although that certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, <laughs> there, there is this debate about who exactly um, Paul is addressing. Like, who, who, are these, who are these people who are like, these sort of um, heretics or whatever, <laughs> these people who Paul okay. is sort of upbraiding. And... Some have argued, okay, well, he's looking at these proto-Gnostics, you know, these sort of early kind of Gnostics before they were even really Gnostics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some have even argued, well, Paul didn't write this letter because he's obviously referring to Gnostics. And, you know, Gnostics didn't come around really till the next century. And, but there's a lot in here that suggests that Paul is criticizing a Jewish opponent or a Jewish group of opponents, not pagans. Uh, huh. And so that sort of adds some complications here. But in any case, he's like, the one thing that keeps coming up in Colossians is he keeps talking about 
how much better Christ is than everything. <laughs> so, um, so if you go back to Colossians 1, for example, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, rulers and authorities, arche and exousia. Uh, those are these two words that uh, get used a lot to refer to angelic powers, particularly demonic, like fallen powers. Yep. So, you know, Paul seems to be saying, you know, all of these angelic beings, you know, Christ is much better than them. He, you know, he's, he is, you know, he's God essentially. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You can't say that about the angels. Um, so, you have this kind of, uh, so that, that that's like the basic, like running theme through Colossians. Jesus is better than all these things. Then you get to Colossians 2. And, uh, you know, he, he goes on you know, more about, you know, about the, uh, so, you know, how, how wonderful Christ is. But um, he has this sort of section here. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the stoicheia of the world and not according to Christ. Why, why is that, Paul? Well, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority, all arche and exousia. Uh -huh. So, uh, and that's, so we'll go back, we'll skip up a little bit here. So Christ is, he talks about Christ being crucified, and um, I'll skip ahead. So verse 13 you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. So that seems to be referring to Torah, maybe, right? The, the, the law of God that condemns us. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the Arche and Exousia and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival, a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up uh, without reason by a sensuous mind. Uh, dot, dot, dot. If with Christ you died to the stoicheia of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch according to human precepts and teachings. So, <laughs> mm. so we, so this idea, so why, why uh, if so you died with Christ to the stoichia of the world, the, uh, um, as the ESV says, the elemental spirits of the world. So what is Paul talking about here? <laughs> is he talking about uh, these basic principles of the world, like philosophical principles um, obviously he, he is, he is relating this to Jewish customs. So he's not just talking about paganism here. Yeah. Um, but, and he does reference worship of angels, but he also talks about keeping Sabbaths and new moons and festivals like Jewish feasts. Yeah. Sort of a slavery to, um, if you took elements in the sense of the, the basic elements of Jewishness, like hyper Jewishness, Jewishness. Yeah gone wrong if you will yeah you know jewishness that isn't really jewishness anymore because you're worshiping angels and basically worshiping practices like the sabbath and dietary stuff and this or that special sacred holiday you know yeah 
Well, and and I kind of like what um I've got a um let me see here expositor's Bible commentary. I liked um how it was discussed here. Let me make sure I quote the author properly because there's a few in here that have been collected. So the Colossians uh, section was written by Todd D. Still, and I really liked what he said here. Um, so you know, stoicheia elements literally is what he says. The precise relation between these elements and the world is a controverted and complex issue. Are we to construe these rudiments as elementary, NASB, or basic, NIV, principles of the world? If so, the operative idea would be that the philosophy was based on religious requirements and regulations such as those referred to in chapter 2, verse 16. Or do these stoicheia refer to the elemental spirits of the universe, according to the NRSV? If so, the philosophy would be in concert with celestial powers, arguably malevolent in nature. The construal of stoicheia, the construal of stoicheia as elemental substances of the universe, earth, water, air, and fire, would not be wholly unrelated to the second interpretive option, for in Paul's day, these elements that were thought to comprise the cosmos would be personified and divinized. Although these two lines of interpretation differ in particulars and are typically regarded by scholars as mutually exclusive, it's worth noting that Paul linked both Jewish and pagan religious practices to spiritual slavery. Moreover, Paul would have viewed religious rituals that were out of sync with Christ and out of step with the Spirit as worldly, fleshly, and earthly. Additionally, Paul considered people who were separated from God and Christ to be, irrespective of religion and its accoutrements, under the thraldom of a kingdom ruled by the God of this world and his minions. <clears throat> so, is it is it, is then Paul saying, you know, partly at least to at least partly a Jewish audience here, that if you're so concerned about staying in Judaism and you know being part of this old covenant rather, um, then you are, you know, you. Oh, here's another thing. Okay, this is pretty interesting. So, uh, th this is discussed in Hebrews. This idea that the Torah was given through angelic intermediaries. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, even even the old, even if you're in the old covenant, who is your intermediary between between you and God? An angel, apparently. Yes, and but if you're in the new covenant, who's the intermediary between you and God? Jesus Christ, who is better than the angels, as we've already established. <laughs> exactly, and he also has judged and condemned at least a, a significant portion of these angels. Yeah, and so uh, I, I also have a few notes here on um, uh, sort of early church um, discussion of this. Theodora, uh, Theodore of uh, Mopsuestia says, because it was said that the law had been given through angels, since it was by these ministers that the law was given at that time, the blessed Paul himself had said, for if the message declared by angels was valid, although that's Hebrews, but he, he understood it to be written by Paul, they therefore who were arguing with them to keep the law were also taking the position that the angels were angered if the law were not being kept. Theodoret of Seir says, those who defend the law lead persons to worship angels since they say that the law was given through them. This vice persisted for a long time in Phrygia and Pisidia, such that a synod gathered at Laodicea in Phrygia laid down a law that angels should not be invoked. Um, and so, you know, you, you, so even like, you know, this earlier time in church, church history, you have this discussion of, okay, well, what, what's Paul talking about here in Colossians? Because he's obviously criticizing uh, you know, there's at least some kind of a Jewish issue here that he's dealing with. 
uh, based on this context of talking about festivals and new moons and Sabbaths and stuff like that. But why is he connecting it with the worship of angels? And why does he keep saying that God is better than all of these angels or Jesus is better than all of these angels? Yeah. And so it seems that, that, that maybe Paul is actually saying that if you are, wh whether you're um, sort of going back to paganism or whether you're going back to the old covenant, in either case, you are going back to something lesser. You are under some other kind of authority. Um, and you're sort of pulling yourself out of this new covenant. And uh, so, yeah, so th that seems to be what Paul is talking about here in Colossians, that, um, um, you know, instead of being under these angels, why not choose to be under Christ, who is better than these angels, and who, in fact, has put them to an open shame by the cross? Mm hmm does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's it's like, um, I, I'd, it's not exactly like the whole shadow of something kind of thing that the author of Hebrews talks about, but it's it's kind of the same idea. It's like the the lesser thing, you know. Well, actually, that, that, yeah. Well, I was gonna say sorry real quickly. That that word shadow is used in Colossians here. Uh, when he mm. talks about festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Aha, uh -huh, there we go. Therefore, don't let anyone disqualify you by insisting on the worship of angels. Yeah, got it. <laughs> so, okay. So I have another note here from uh, Todd Still in his Colossians commentary in the Expositor's Bible uh, commentary here. Uh, he says, Paul reasons, if indeed you have died with Christ and consequently come out from under the influence of elemental sinister powers and rudimentary principles, then why, pray tell, are you being led to live in such a way as to betray who you are and to dismiss what you have in Christ? The question he puts to the Colossians here is similar to the one he posed to the Galatians, which we're going to get into. Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? In essence, Paul is saying to the Colossians that it makes no spiritual sense for them to submit to the philosophy's regulations, for in doing so, they would be returning to an inferior spiritual state ordered by sinister, subservient powers. And so I think even, even if you want, and, and Paul is not you know, a Gnostic or anything. He's not saying that the Old Testament or the Old Covenant was, was evil. He is saying it's not as good. But ultimately, if, if, if God has said, I have, you know, I have come in the flesh to... Um, destroy these powers and principalities, um, then I think what, what Paul would say then is even though in times past it was paganism that was under, you know, these pagan nations and these pagan religions that were under the authority of demons, now, if, if you reject Christ, you know, you're still sort of in the same kind of spot because you are, you know, you are rejecting God's revelation, you're rejecting God in the flesh, and so you are once again, you know, even though, you know, you know, maybe you know, before Christ, you know, comes on the scene, you would not have been maybe under the authority of demons at that time. If you reject Christ, once he's come, you are. So you're under this other kind of system now. Yeah. It's like Christ, you know, Christ's coming does change something. Yeah. If only by revealing the truth to us, you know, if, if, if the only change that happens is in what has been revealed to us, what we know, what we understand now in light of him, then something has indeed changed, you know, and one might suggest that he's changed more. Um, but it's like the, it's like there are these two, um, kind of two, two things, you know, the, um, 
the Judaism, you know, and the paganism, you know, and the, the old covenant, um, is, is part of that first thing, the, the Judaism and the, the paganism is the other thing. Um, uh, the, the second thing there, the paganism that's like outside the realm of good, you know, that's, that's evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, and, and like you said, the, the old covenant is good, but you know, it's just one good thing. And what makes it good is that it's part of this bigger good thing, you know, which is what God has given us, you know, because God is the ultimate good. He's God, you know, and, and yeah. consequently, when you limit yourself to just that one good thing, your relationship to the good thing is from outside of, you know, the bigger good thing that contains it. You're putting yourself in that evil realm where the pagans also are. Yeah. Which is a kind of complicated way of explaining it, but I, I think that's the sort of picture that one might get from Colossians 2, especially if one is me. Yeah, as, a, uh, uh, as um, Joel Hodgson once said on um, Mystery Science Theater 3000, if you're like me, and I know I am. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so, okay, so then, you know, maybe we have sort of figured out what's going on in Colossians here, at least what seems to be the most likely reading. Mm-hmm. So now we can maybe look at Galatians and then sort of try to see if we can figure out what what all is going on with this word altogether when you read it in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, and also, I do want to mention, I mentioned this is in the LXX three times, the Septuagint three times. In, in those passages, it's twice in Wisdom and once in, I think, Fourth, fourth uh, Maccabees. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to have that sort of meaning of like something basic or essential. It doesn't seem to refer to stars or, or angels or anything like that, but just sort of kind of like how it's used in Hebrews, the basic things, the ABCs mm-hmm. or something like that. So, okay. So moving on to Galatians here. So Galatians, the, the broader context here is, of course, that Paul is arguing with um, those who are talking about moving back toward Judaism. You know, hey, we need to make sure the Gentiles get circumcised. We have to do all these things. Um, and of course, you know, for Paul, we, you know, the old covenant, especially if like, you know, um, if you if you understand Paul in light of Hebrews, which he probably didn't write, but I think also it, it gives you a pretty good framework for understanding the way that the apostles thought about some of these issues. Um you know, the author of Hebrews seems to say that, like, or it actually does say that once you have undermined the sacrifices and the priesthood, you don't have the old covenant anymore. We have a new, a new priest, a new priesthood, a uh, new kind of sacrifice. And so that kind of wipes away the whole covenant. Now, that doesn't mean that there's nothing from the old covenant that we can learn, you know, because it does point to God's character and nature and it gives us things that we can, you know, apply maybe in other ways. Uh, but, but the covenant itself is gone. So yes. that's that's the basic thing that, that Paul's arguing with here. Um, so then we get into what does he actually, how does he use this word? And just before this passage um, in Galatians 3, he talks about being under a guardian. Uh, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So there's no longer Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, so on and so forth. Now we move to Galatians 4. And uh, I'll read just the first few verses here because it shows up in verse 3. 
The heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. So he's talking about someone near who, who is not a son yet, but he's waiting to become, well, he's not a son. He is a son, but he, he's not, uh, he hasn't inherited um, um, what his father has set aside for him yet. So that's, that's what it is you know, for the Jewish person under the law. So he's no, he's uh, no different than a slave, uh, though he is the owner of everything, you know, legally, technically, or whatever. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So now we have a plural thing here. So he was talking about the law as one kind of guardian, uh, but but now he's he starts talking using this plural terminology, guardians and managers. Mm-hmm. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the stoicheia of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God set forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Skip ahead to verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, so it seems like here he's talking to pagans, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless stoicheia of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. Okay, so... <laughs> That's intense. Yeah, so what are the stoicheia here then? Yeah, it doesn't seem to lend itself as readily to the demonic powers interpretation as really? we other passages yeah i think i think it is definitely more i think colossians is more clear i do think that's probably what's happening in galatians too but i think that there's more of a there's definitely more of a debate to be had here so Mm. is he talking about the stoicheia is is that the law Hmm. or are the stoicheia these guardians and managers who are not gods it would seem to be the second one insofar as he's he's setting up an analogy pretty clearly yeah the immediate so the, the broader context he's talking about not going back to the law right yeah but but the immediate context is um you are enslaved to those that by nature are not gods but now that you've come to know god okay so actually i mean, I mean there's, there's like a there's like kind of a dual thing here so you have mm-hmm. a parallelism formerly when you did not know god you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods but now that you have come to know god how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless stoicheia whose slaves you want to be once more? So there's two different so there's 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 two different situations one can be in here. Not knowing God and being enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, and then knowing God and therefore moving out and not turning back to those weak and worthless stoicheia of the world. Mm-hmm. It, so yeah. It almost seems like he's using the word in two different ways. You know, when he uses it the first time in verse three, mm. he seems to be setting up by analogy that the stoicheia are analogous to the guardians and managers. But in the second time, he seems to be using the same word in a different way, you know, setting maybe. it up. Yeah, yeah maybe. But, but here's the thing, though. So verse two, he talks about guardians and managers. But in the last chapter, he does talk about being under a, um, a guardian, Right, the law was our guardian until Christ came, but that's a singular guardian. Mm. So then, you move to chapter four, and it's guardians and managers. Now, is so. My question is, 
by noticing that that's plural, am I reading too much into what he's saying? Is he, I mean, cause maybe, maybe, you know, he's talking about, you know, what happens when you have an heir, you know? And yeah. so maybe does, know, he's talking about he broaden heirs. the scope. Does he intend to broaden the scope of what he's talking about to include not just Jews who were under the law as a guardian and now are moving into the inheritance that they have in Christ? Is he also intending to talk about, um, to, to bring his discussion to encompass uh, the other sorts of guardians, you know, which are even more incomplete and in fact than the law, and in fact are downright evil because they're demons. Well, maybe, but he, but also though, okay, so so so, you know, maybe maybe he's you know he's just talking about what happens in in, in a situation where there is an heir. There there will be guardians and managers, right? Yeah. But so maybe maybe I'm by making it plural, I'm trying to make too close a, a connection here. But I do think it's interesting that he changes to a plural form. It, but it also could be that he's referring. He's he could still be talking to, about Jews here, because Jews were being ministered. Th th their go-between, their mediator, were angels. Mm -hmm. So the plural makes sense here. They're under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. Although, yeah, that could also be referring to pagans. So, <laughs> um, but I think in context it makes more sense that he's talking about Jews. Although I, I, you know, because he's talking about being under the law, but but I think you know what 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 we were reading in that uh, in the expositor's commentary that for Paul the difference is not tremendous at this point okay. because if you go back to Judaism or if you go back to paganism, you are still abandoning being a free son of God to be a slave to some other thing that is ministering. Uh, well, these sort of ministers of God who are who are not actually administering their duties faithfully. So, particularly, yeah. particularly, you know, um, pagans, you know, pagan gods in particular. But now that you know, Judaism is no longer representing what God is. You know, the, the covenant that God is trying to make with 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 humanity. Uh, that would also be underneath uh, Satan's power or the authority yeah. of Satan, right? So, yeah, it's, it's like the uh, old covenant is a road sign, you know, and when you're driving down the road and you pass it, then it's no longer pointing you toward where you need to go, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever that's worth. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. So, what do you think as we're talking about this? Do you feel – so, I mean, there are these obvious, I think, passages like Hebrews where we know what it means. And Second Peter where we have a pretty good handle on what it means, although there could be a slightly broader – meaning or scope in mind. Um, do you feel like we, we, we kind of have figured out what it's saying in Colossians and Galatians, or do you think we're, we're still, uh, <laughs> you think I, we're still struggling? I think we've got a reasonably good idea, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly not as clear, but, um, you know, I, th I think we've got, um, by way of it, I think we've got a pretty good handle on, you know what what Paul is saying. You know that uh, that he's sort of emphasizing Jesus Christ in each of these passages, hmm. and you know, saying that these these other things are you know these other things that that people are inclined to uh, worship or enslave themselves to or venerate or you know um, put in a position of authority over their lives that they're they're inferior. You know. Mm -hmm whether those are, you know, particular religious observances or actual demons 
you know, or uh, just overly basic principles that, you know, one should be graduating from in some fact, you know, whatever they are, they're, they're inferior to Christ. They're like, you know, counterfeits or shadows or copies or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, uh, I, I probably shared this earlier, but I, I had um, something I wanted to kind of add in. Um, this was from uh, Clinton Arnold's book, Powers of Darkness, that I, I do reference in, uh, in my book, Fight the Powers, uh, where he points out that the interpretation of Stoicheia as personal spiritual entities, um, he argues it's the most compelling view. He also would say that it commanded the consent of the majority of commentators in the history of the interpretation of these passages. Um, and he argues on the basis of, in particular, um, second and third century AD um, uh, you know, pagan writings uh, that connect the stoicheia with astral spirits and particularly like astrology. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, he references a Greek magical papyri uh, in connection with the Zodiac. And so this is a, like a, um, a spell, I guess you might say, an incantation. I conjure you by the 12 stoicheia of heaven and the 24 sto uh, stoicheia of the world in order that you would lead me to Heracles. And, mm -hmm. That connect stoicheia of the world is actually a phrase, of course, that we've that we've read in Galatians and I think also in Colossians. Oh, uh, stoicheia of the world—that particular phrase. Wow. So, awesome. yeah. So anyway, so th so this is pretty. Int it's interesting to think that. I mean, I, I think that. Um, I mean, I. I think the expositors' Bible commentary is right that for Paul. The difference at this point between Judaism and paganism is more is a hair's breadth difference. I mean, you know, technically, obviously, Judaism believes in one supreme God. So, I mean, philosophically, there's a significant difference. But if you, but all of this is supposed to be moving, you know, leading to something. It's it's looking forward to Christ. And so, if you don't have Christ, you really you're kind of in the same spot no matter what. Mm -hmm. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, okay. So I will say this again too. The um, in Galatians, he talks about their their slavery to Stoicheia. That, that the impact of that is that they observe days and months and seasons and years. Um, is he talking about Jewish calendar events or pagan calendar events? Hmm. Because um, remember, in Colossians, he specifically talks about Sabbaths and new moons. He doesn't use that terminology here. Oh yes. Um, okay days and months and seasons and years um yeah and of course the, the stoicheia are connected with stars and the, the sun and the moon and all these other things right oh yeah yeah so maybe maybe paul is sort of maybe that is sort of something that, that paul has in mind um i mentioned bdag earlier which is um uh a lexicon that's it's used for the new testament um it it I pulled this quote here. It's not always easy to differentiate between the sense of divine beings and heavenly bodies, since heavenly bodies were also regarded as personal beings and given divine honors. Uh, so that continuity thing keeps coming up. Yeah. Like the, the stars are gods, astrology, the Zodiac. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll add one more here just to kind of maybe belabor my point, but uh, <laughs> Um, J.B. Lightfoot, a uh, commentator, argued that uh, in Galatians 4, Paul was speaking of the ritualistic aspect found both in Judaism and in the pagan religion formerly practiced by the Galatians. These two have so much in common, he says, that a lapse into Judaism can be regarded as a relapse to the position of unconverted heathenism, 
Judaism was a system of bondage like heathenism. Heathenism had been a disciplinary training like Judaism. Uh, and I, I think he says that maybe a little more aggressively than, than he should, but, uh, <laughs> but, 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 you know, ultimately there, there is something to what he's saying, even though I, I wouldn't say it quite like he's saying it. Um, you know, do you want, um, do you want to be under the authority of angels or do you want to be under the authority of, of the God man himself? Which yeah. covenant do you want? One mediated by angels or one mediated by God himself? Yeah, it's, I think on more than one occasion, we see an angel, you know, people attempting to worship angels mm -hmm. in the narrative portions of the, the New Testament and the Hebrew scriptures and the angel refusing it, you know, when yeah. I think we mm -hmm. see that in Revelation, you know, it seems yeah. it, to me that it occurs elsewhere too, but it's like, if the angel is being a good good guardian, good steward of what his business is, then he's going to point you to that which is worthy of worship, namely Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So there's a, um, a pretty cool podcast I'd recommend everybody check out um, called the Naked Bible Podcast. And uh, it's an Old Testament scholar named uh, Mike, Dr. Michael Heiser who, um, who hosts it. And he, uh, he's been kind of going over uh, Colossians recently. And he, um, I don't have the transcript here, so I don't. I hope, I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting him. But he was arguing that it was possible that there these Jewish people in the church uh, were encouraging the Gentiles to give honor to these angels or whatever, because in in their mindset. So okay, so going back to Deuteronomy 32 and all that stuff, right? So you have these angels that are put over all the pagans and all the pagan nations. Mm-hmm. So if you are a Grecian or whatever, you're under that, the, 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 you know, the prince of angelic prince of Greece's authority. God has put that angel over you. You, yeah. know, you should, you should give honor to that angel. It's like, that's the guy you, you answer to because God says you answer to him. Yeah. So, so what, what I think Heiser was sort of suggesting is maybe that's partly what's happening in this passage here that you have these, these people who, you know, they're trying to go back to Judaism, but, you know, they're being told by these Jews, well, you have to get circumcised first of all, but also, you know, you don't have this, you're, you, you aren't God's chosen inheritance like we are. You, know, you don't have this direct connection to God like we do. You're under these other elemental spirits, these stoicheia or you know, archaic exousia, whatever. Uh, and, and Paul is saying, no, <laughs> that's not true. You, if you are in Christ, you are a son of God. That's it. You won't need to be. You're not under any of these other sons of God. Um, well, Jesus, obviously, but but not these other sons of God, which which is a, an, a term for these sort of higher level angelic beings. So that's you know also at least a possibility in the passage. Um, although I don't know that we have quite enough context to to rule definitively on on, on something like that. But uh, but yeah, it, it, this is a it's a fascinating word that I I, I wish I uh, I wish Paul spent more time explaining what he meant by it. Wow. So, uh, man, do we have any? Do we have anything else we need to wrap up on this, or do you think we've kind of wrapped it up as well as we can wrap it up at this stage? I don't have anything else to add. All right. Well, then I guess we're going to wrap it up. Wow. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you found this conversation engaging. Uh, if you're looking for a broader context to understand what exactly we were really talking about today, I would really encourage you to get my new book, Fight the Powers. 
what the Bible says about the relationship between spiritual forces and human governments. Uh, although I've done some podcasts about that. So if you don't feel like spending any money, you can certainly listen to a podcast Jackson and I did about, um, I think it's called from Babel to Pentecost. I have another podcast actually called fight the powers. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, those, those would be helpful, uh, introductory, uh, information or whatever. You can also email me Cody at campus firmus.com. And I'd be happy to send you a PDF for free. If you, uh, you don't have the money to buy it. So, wow. Thank you so much, Jackson. And, uh, yeah. And, oh, like okay. I said, people, people want to check you out. What are the two places they should look at? Um, you can check out my blogging about the Bible at chocolatebook.net. And you can check out my portfolio at bigjstudios.com. Cool. Thank you, Jackson. It always helps me to have you here because I feel like I am less boring. Yeah. Well, th thank you for uh, having me on the podcast. I'm glad I can be a catalyst to uh, thrilling engagement and excitement for you and all your listeners. Well, yeah. And if we're going to be talking about the, the uh, doing a Greek word study, then I think we're going to need this to be as exciting as we can get it. Yes. Well, it's already <laughs> exciting for me. Oh, I'm no. I agree. Yeah. Nerd, just ginormous nerd. But for the for the other people out there, um, yeah, I'm I'm glad we can we can liven it up for them. Thank you so much, Jackson. You're welcome. Yeah, I think it's spicy. <laughs> Bye. Bye.